0: We want to welcome in our center worshipers that are joining us this morning and also those that are going to be streaming live with us. And as you know, during these days of pandemic and the aftermath of that, there are so many that uh, are now tuning in in a digital way with us, so we want to welcome you in as well today. Job, if you'll find your way, and uh, head over there to about Job chapter 32 or so, we're going to be bouncing around today uh, and looking at a number of different chapters. Uh, for those that are streaming with us, uh, they don't have a copy of our outline today, but for you that are here in-house at one of our two venues, you do have an outline, and you just see that I've just entitled uh, our message today, Elihu, and uh, we'll talk more about that uh, today. The book of Job is, uh, has been pretty predictable. We were introduced to a character, his name is Job, he was obviously a very a vibrant living man that had all kinds of difficulties in his life. As a reader, we're probably taken a little bit back by just how many things suddenly occurred to him in a string of occurrences. Things like uh, houses getting blown down and livestock's being destroyed and stolen. Children, I mean it's one thing if you have ten kids to have one of them with some health challenges but to lose 10 children in a fairly condensed period of time, as a reader, if we didn't know any of the extras, we would have probably at this point began asking the question, hey, don't we, we smell something else going on here? This is not normal. In fact, this is not even abnormal. This is supernaturally abnormal. And we know that Job was a test case. We know behind the scenes, Satan had challenged God himself. And so, really, Job became a man in between those two entities, a holy God and Satan, Lucifer himself. And it was Satan's charge that, hey, people won't serve you for nothing. The only way that people will really serve is out of selfish ambition, out of what you're doing for them. And God says, i tell you what, we've we've got a pretty great one right here, this Job fella. Why don't we just use him? It was God that brought Job into the picture. It was was God that called forth Job's name. And so we've been tracking this now for two months, walking through this book just under the caption of this mystery of miseries. And what an appropriate time for us to look at a, a book of challenge, a book of struggle. A book of difficulties, and man, if there's ever a book, the book of Ruth and the book of Job in our own te- Old Testament really are two premier books that we could bring forward in this type of atmosphere. Now, today, I want us, as we've been going back and forth like a ping pong table with three friends that. Job has been dialoguing with three friends and three different sets nine times now. These three friends at three different episodes have leveled their horoscope, their forecast, their opinions at Job. And nine different times, Job has hurled back his picture of what's going on. And so I guess as a reader, if I had not read any further, my next assumption would be Let me guess, a fourth round of issues with friends. But last week, just to clarify, let's look at it in our Bibles as you look right there in chapter 31 and verse 40, we see that chapter 31 where we ended last week ended with this statement and the words of Job, they're over. he, He spoke in his last words. Now, for some of you, you took away when I shared that, that, hey, Job's not going to speak anywhere else in the entire book. And that certainly was not my intention. But this is a section of what we call a closure. This section with these three friends are closing. We are not going to have the ping-pong match any longer. But it's not suggesting that Job is not going to say anything else until the end of this book that we know that we have in the canon of Scripture called Job. In fact, we know at the very end of this book, there's going to be a fair amount of dialogue that Job brings to God. But what we do know as the reader is that something is happening. But, we, but what we didn't expect was this unknown, strange character that arises. And it's in the middle of all of this silence. We know Job is now going to be silent because he's convinced that he's innocent. Job's friends now are going to be be silent because they're convinced that Job is guilty. And God is silent. There is at this moment no voice from God. And of all those things, into the picture walks Elihu. And it's like, who? (laughs) Good question. Who is this masked man that appears? And as the reader, you and I are kind of somewhat taking back. Like, hey, I mean, we're not given any forecast. This, this character just shows up. And by the way, just about as quickly and suddenly as he appears, he then disappears. And we know so very little about Elihu. We know he's a young man. We'll see that in the text just in a moment. We know that he probably comes out of uh, a Gad, Abraham ancestral uh, track. Talk about that in just a moment. We know who his father was. We're introduced to that. So other than a little bit about this age, a little bit about from, from, from where he came, those are some of the only facts that we really know about this masked man that comes onto the scene, quickly shares a fairly lengthy speech, a lengthy dialogue, and then disappears. But maybe that is a great message for us today. Before we even look at these chapters that deal with Elihu's life, maybe there's a message, just maybe, for us about how God uses different people at different times in his ultimate tapestry of our lives. Could it be that at times God uses people that we've known all of our lives? I mentioned a moment ago, I'm going to be going to see Miss Ima Jean. I've known the Hollies for much of my natural-born life. I've just kind of always been there in my life. But there's other people that God brings into my life that I, I've not known before. There's other individuals that God may use in my life, and I've got to be understanding of this, that God brings about for a period of time, a season, to speak into my life. Maybe as an accountability partner, maybe as just an acquaintance, maybe not even, I mean, an acquaintance may be about as far as it goes. So as we read today, one of the things that may need to be at the backdrop of your heart as well as mine is identifying some people that are speaking into our lives. Who are those individuals? What level of trust do we have with those individuals? What kind of foundation spiritually do these individuals have? So as we look at this picture of Elihu... I want you to be aware that as we begin reading, you're going to see quickly Elihu was angry at just about everybody when he comes onto the scene. It's almost like we have interrupted his vacation and he really doesn't want to come into the scene, but it's really amazing at his comments because we see he's angry at the three friends that have been leveling these charges at Job because they've been unable to bring any resolution. They have no true answer. He's upset, obviously, with Job because Job doesn't have any kind of answer. God apparently is silent. And so Elihu brings, I would say, a fair amount of anger onto the scene. And while we're talking about it, just as an extra, we'll not charge you for this part, I want you to be aware of this. Most commentators treat Elihu in a negative light. I mean, if you pick up ten commentaries of the book of Job, I guarantee you six, seven, maybe eight of those commentators, people that write, scholarship would suggest, maybe Elihu wasn't a great guy. And we'll speak to that in just a moment, but certainly there are some negative things that we're able to identify very quickly about Elihu. As we read in just a moment, you're going to get a sense he's a pretty arrogant fellow. If you look over there in chapter 33... Verse six, the first part of that verse, you see that he stacks himself up beside Job as to, as. I mean, we already know that Job was one of God's very finest. God Himself has already proclaimed that. Here's my man Job. He's blameless, didn't say sinless, but he's blameless. He's a righteous man. He's a godly man. He's one that fears me and follows me with great, great fervor, and. Oh, Elihu, obviously, a young man walks into the picture, and he just immediately puts himself on the same plane as Job. And we're going to see those kind of reflections. Well, I guess we could say Elihu is long-winded. Chapter 32 through chapter 37, and man, when we look at these verses in just a moment, some of them are fairly lengthy chapters. He's obviously long, and, and, and kind of some of the things that he says are boring and are repetitive. I don't think there's any question that Elihu is long winded. In fact, the content of just his comments are longer and greater than 12 of our Old Testament books and longer than 17 of the New Testament books that we have in our Bible. This guy can talk. I guess if we were picking out negative things, we could also say not only is he a little bit arrogant and long-winded, but he certainly says some things that are not correct. He's going to be repeating some of the same arguments that we already have identified as false arguments like, hey, Job, you're a sinner, and because of your sin, you're being punished. We know in this particular case that was not correct. But all of that aside, I'm convinced that Elihu plays a very pivotal, a very vital function that's essential for Job to start down the track to discover what's going on in his life. He's going to help, at least in some degrees, how Job is able to relate to these difficult days that he's facing and what God's arrangement is in those difficulties. But we're going to see very quickly a is going to bring to the surface, hey, it's not so much your previous sin that's the real problem. It's the sin that you're entertaining right now because you're prancing around here acting as if you're not a sinner. And can't we be transparent enough with each other on the Lord's day today to admit there's no one in this place, pastor included, on the front line of that that is perfect sinless in this place today. Now, I see some of you husbands are taken back by that statement. I can prove that we're telling the truth if your wife is sitting close to you today. But when we closed last week, we saw Job's response. I'd prance around like a prince. If God shows himself, I would pick my knees up, I would prance around because there's not anything That I'm ashamed of in my life. Joe, big boy, that is a brash statement. And so we're gonna see this mask rider that comes into the picture, Elihu, that is going to begin asking those important questions. Let's look in chapter 31, and let's just quickly pick up our reading in chapter 31. The last few words, here's what God's word says, the words of Job are ended. Chapter 32 says, so these three men stopped answering Job. Those were the three friends that we've been looking at for some odd 20, some odd chapters. But Elihu, the son of Barcarel, the Buzzite, and the family of Ram became very angry at Job and justifying himself rather than God. Look in verse 3. He was also angry with his three friends because they had found no way to refute Job, and they had not condemned him. Now, Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barakarell, the Buzzite, said, I am young in years... And you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. Well, it's interesting that Elihu, three very important things. Would you just jot these down quickly with me this morning? They're going to help us walk through a large sum of scripture. Three things I want you to jot down. First of all, let's just make note here of how Elihu explains himself how Elihu explains himself. And he's going to start this explanation talking about what? His hesitation. He is going to explain, first of all, in these first six verses, his hesitation. Now, I was just thinking about this. My, my dad sitting back here in the service today. Um, somebody always brings this up about every few months. In this church, uh, back in the early 1970s, I was credited with launching a paper airplane off of this balcony that uh, I think probably stayed in the air longer than any other paper airplane that's ever been launched in Oakland Heights Sanctuary. And that ended my days of being able to sit in the balcony alone. And at that time, by the way, the balcony was not even finished. It was kind of a rough-hewn floor up there. There was no carpet up there. There were some metal folding chairs. The big question was, what was I doing up there to begin with? Amen? Absolutely. But that paper airplane, when it circled, it kind of came out here, and it circled around the sanctuary, and it kind of nosedived back up underneath that balcony, and it hit a man kind of in the side of a head by the name of Mr. Winget. Mr. Winget was a longtime member here at Oakland Heights. He had this huge car. Everybody in the church stayed away from him. And that was before this, this area was paved right here along Judson Road. And he would pull up in the grass area, just leave his car. Sometimes he forgot to even turn it off. Ushers would go out there and turn it off for him. And I mean, it was one of those long, looked like an army tank car. But I, I never forget when word got out what I had done and it had hit Mr. Winget. I had to go and make an apology. That came flashing back because of Elihu. You say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, we notice something here about Elihu's upbringing. We notice there was some hesitation in him, him even saying anything. Evidently, he's been keeping up with this. As a reader, we're kind of introduced to him suddenly. But hey, this is not his first rodeo. He's been clear and near and he's seen everything evidently that's been going on. He's aware of all the different attributes of what we've seen recorded in the book of Job. How do we know that? Because he alludes to it. He says, hey, I've been watching this, but I've chosen. I've been, what, very cautious not to say anything. And his hesitation is vested first in these evidently are men that are much older than he is, and he's been trained at some point. Hey, if an older man's speaking, you keep your mouth shut, you hush up, that's part of the training you give them certain level of respect that's why even to this day if someone's older than me even sometimes when they're not I refer to them as mister that's how I was brought up that's how I was trained and we see this hesitation that begins to come out in his heart and his life in fact look down in verse number nine uh, we didn't read it a moment ago, but it says, it, it is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understands what is right. He says, You know, I've been watching this and I'm starting to figure something out. Just, it, it's, it's, it's not only the older people that have some knowledge, but some of us younger have some knowledge as well. Back up to verse number eight. But it is the spirit in a person. Did you get that? He says, I mean, I, I guess he's been trained that if somebody's older, that maybe they're just automatically empowered by God with great wisdom. And oh, Elihu's figured out something. Just because someone's older doesn't mean they always are wise. He identifies for us, doesn't he, the fact that wisdom comes from the spirit of the almighty God. He went on to say in verse number eight, the breath of the almighty, nephesh, The breath that God breathes into a heart that gives them understanding. Go down to verse number 17. He says, I hesitated because these older men, I just assumed that they were going to work things out. But as I've watched this unfold, he says, I've kind of been taken back. I'm starting to figure out that just because you have chronos years, chronological years in age, that doesn't always mean that you walk in the Spirit of the Lord. You don't always just naturally have that. But God brings that in some older lives, but he also brings it in some younger lives as well. Down in verse 17, I too will have my say. I too tell what I know. Look in verse 18, for I am full of words, and the Spirit within me compels me. I love this picture that he paints. Look in verse 19. Inside of me, like a bottle of wine. We know wine ferments. And so you put new wine in old wineskins. You know, the Bible refers to that. Makes those kind of references. There has to be a vent or they'll pop. They'll burst like new wineskins ready to burst. Verse 20. I must speak to find relief. I must open my lips and reply. Wow. I've gotta speak or I'm just gonna bust. Look in verse 21. I will show no partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. Isn't that an interesting statement? Elihu says, what I'm about to say, I'm not walking into this scenario supportive of Job. I'm not walking into this situation supportive of these these three friends. What I'm about to say is completely impartial. I don't have a dog in the hunt. I'm just going to bring you insight from God, and here's what I want you to hear. And I want you to hear it out of the essence that if I don't share it, I am about to bust. The hesitation. Did you get that? But he also explains himself in another way. He explains his inspiration. Write that down. He's going to explain the inspiration that he's bringing to the table. Now quickly, look over in chapter 33 and verse number 4. Chapter 33 and verse number 4 we see a repetitive phrase here that was used just a moment ago that we highlighted in chapter 32. Look in verse 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. It's with that same breath that was brought to me by the Creator Himself. The same one that brought the Lord Jesus Christ to planet earth many years later, the same one that has provided this inerrant, infallible word of God that we read today that is inspiring me. It's that same inspiration that Elihu says that he comes with. Look in verse 6, chapter 33 and verse 6. I am the same as you in God's sight. I too am a piece of clay. you would have been happy because I thought about just sending the message right here today and talking about just this element for 15 or 20 minutes. I just can't tell you how important of a statement this is. Up until this time, we've had three friends that have tried to reach Job and they've done that as setting themselves up as above him. They've set themselves up as being the judge over his actions. But I want you to see something that's that's so distinct, so different about Elihu. Elihu is going to begin this discussion when he turns now his attention to Job, and he's going to do so as saying, hey, Job, before we even get started, I just want you to know this. I'm just like you are. I'm a man of clay, just like you are. You know, it just spoke to my heart this week. Reminding me, you know, that if we're really going to help people, I mean, if we're really going to make an impact in lives of those around us, I mean, if we really want to help people, we're going to have to come down to the level of their hurt. We're going to have to learn to identify with people and they're very hurt. What, a, what, what an incredible statement. Somebody this week fired off the question, as we hear so often here, how do you really reach Longview, Texas? Great question. I just wonder if really reaching people starts by an identification with them and the challenges that they have in their life. Last week, we had a family that was visiting here in our church. They're part of a fellowship of a sister church in our city. And in a way, as we always make a habit of doing, somebody visits our church, we just reach out and give them a call, encourage them, say, hey, thanks for being here, being a part. Pastor Kevin does a lot of that. I happened to be making some of those calls last week, so I was the one that called them. And uh, I just asked, the the, it was a husband and wife, and I asked the lady on the phone last Sunday afternoon, I just said, Were people warm and friendly? She said, as friendly as they could be in a mask. I said, well, what did you think about the service? She said, it was a good service. And I said, wonderful. Well, just thank you again. And as I was about to hang up, she said, can I just say? I thought, "Uh uh-oh. She was so kind. She says, you know, one of the things that was so great about this message that we saw today is it was just a down... Earth message. And I said, Well, kind of define for me what is a down to earth message. She just said, straight from the Word of God, heart to heart with the needs that we have in our life. And she said, Maybe it was just the way that you presented it, but she said, We just loved the down to earth message, it spoke into our lives. I don't know about you. We've got a lot to look at this morning. It's hard for me to go any further, but we will. But again, I just offer up to you, this is a verse worth marking in your text. Maybe it says something to someone that you're trying to minister to today. Maybe it says to you in the process that you're trying to minister. But he did not put himself above Job, but he put himself on the same level of Job, speaking to the needs that he had. Well, Elihu, first of all, explains himself quickly. We've got to look at how Elihu examines Job. He's going to do an examination. Let's jot that down. How Elihu examines Job. Job. You know, a lot of us have had compassionate critics. We spoke just a moment ago last week as a Baptist minister. Uh, I know all too well about criticism. Somebody said the guy that carries the ball is always the one that gets hit. And that's probably true. I take plenty of hits. But you know, if you and I are lucky enough to have the compassionate critic in our lives... Every single church I've ever pastored, I've had somebody in every one of those churches that loved me, but they've acted as the compassionate critic, and there is a drastic difference in the compassionate critic. I really believe, looking at Elihu for many years now, that Elihu could be put in that category. I believe God had him come. I believe he was a sent one. I believe Elihu knew that Mark was on his life. He mentions it several times. It's the spirit of the almighty God that sent me. He's endowed me. He's brought me to this place. Whether it be Mr. Larry at First Baptist Gilmer, that always had every grammatical error that I ever made is a double English major. He always wrote them down. I think he probably tried to do that out of the goodness of his heart. But, you know, we just have different people that speak into our hearts, our ministries, our lives. And now we're going to have one that I think does care about Job. And he's going to share with Job some things that are painful, but he's also going to share with Job some things that are important. And as he examines him, notice first of all, he's gonna, he examines Job in the matter of innocence. Write that down. He, he, he examines Job in this matter of innocence. Let's pick up in that 33rd chapter. Now stay with me because we're going to be moving through several different chapters. Chapter 33 and draw your attention to verse number 8. We know one of the things that Job has been what? Entertaining is this thought that I'm going to prance around like a prince. I haven't. I, I've been righteous. I've been living for the Lord. I've been faithful to Him. I, I. I don't know of any sin that has not been confessed. I mean, Job has made this claim over in chapter 33 and verse 8. The Bible says, "But you have said in my hearing, I heard the very words." Look in verse 9. I am pure. Notice this dialogue going on between Elihu and Elihu, repeating back the words that he's heard Job say over and over. I'm pure. I've done no wrong. Now, that's an important statement. I've done no wrong. I'm clean and free from sin. Really? Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. Look in verse 11. He fastens my feet in shackles, and he keeps close watch on all of my paths. Down in verse 12, Job is going to get to the point here. Uh, or he's going to get, or he's uh, been making this statement in verse 12. But I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. We see kind of the rehashing of this important thing. First, he's going to just tell him, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, Job, but you've been fighting these guys for some time now, back and forth, across the ping-pong table of conversation, over the net and back, over the, they share, you share, and you keep holding to this false premise that you're sinless. It's one thing to say you're blameless and righteous, but it's another to say that you are sinless. And I just want to bring that message from God. First of all, Eli, who says, I want to examine your innocence. Be careful. You are not innocent. You're a mortal. You're a sinful man that is under the authority of a holy God. And he's bringing him back into this element, helping him readjust to spiritual pride. But he also examines Job in this matter of silence. What are we talking about? Job has been prancing around saying, "If if God will just show himself, if God will show himself, I'm going to prance around. Why isn't God speaking? We've got all these friends. Where is God in this process? And it brings to us the question, what do we do when God's silent? What do we do in these moments when these difficulties come along and there's challenges in our heart and life and we don't hear anything from God? And so he's going to now look at the silence. Look in verse 14, chapter 33, and verse 14. For God does speak, notice what Elihu tells him now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. This is a fascinating part of the scripture. It's fascinating because Elihu is going to bring to Job, Job, have you ever stopped to understand that God uses many different ways to communicate? Just because you don't hear him audibly doesn't mean he's not at work and he's not speaking. In fact, look in verse 15, Elihu's going to start giving some ways that God has spoken. Verse number 15, the Bible says this, in a dream, in a vision of the night when, pe- when deep sleep falls on people and they slumber in their beds, he's, he's reminding Job, hey, Job, God often deals with people in their dreams. We know in our Old Testament in particular, we have evidence that God used dreams. Whether it be Jacob and ladders and Joseph and the dreams that he went through. But I remind you, when we come to our New New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, tell us what? Now God has a better way to communicate with his people through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Now, that's not to say there's never a dream mentioned in the New Testament. But we know that part of the canon began to close. God didn't use apparently dreams as much as he did at one time because he had the voice of his son. The canon of Scripture was being formed a much better way, the Scripture tells us. But notice, a says, not just in dreams does God speak, but look in verse 19, chapter 33, verse 19. He uses pain and suffering. Notice these words... Verse 19, or someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones. I wrote down C.S. Lewis's quote. You can say it too. It's incredible, isn't it? We read it often. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Often we know that God deals with us and speaks to us and works certain things through our lives through pain and suffering. But notice in the end of chapter 33, go all the way down to verse 23, and notice who brings a third way. He says, God often sends a messenger. All the way down to verse 23. Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, a sent one, if you will, one out of a thousand could be a reference to the Lord Jesus. Song of Solomon, remember, uses this in a prophetic way. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. That our Lord is the fairest, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, better than one out of 10,000. Goes on to say, look at it, sent to them how to be upright. Verse 24, and he is gracious to that person and says, God, spare them from going down to the pit. I have found, boy, here's a key statement. I have found a ransom for them. No need for us to debate that today. Maybe it's a a vision or a pre-incarnate vision of the Lord Jesus Christ or maybe just an angelic, a sent one, an angel. But we know often God spoke through his what? Angelic beings. And so Elihu is just laying out this examination. He's examining not just in how God speaks through this silence that Job has been proclaiming and innocence, but he also is going to examine Job in this matter of arrogance. He comes to the real moment here. Just as I shared with you last Sunday, be careful, Job. We're going to talk about this week. Now we're here. He examines Job in this matter of arrogance. Write that down and jump with me over to chapter 34 and verse 7. We've got to hurry. Is there anyone like Job who drinks scorn like water? Job, I don't know how to tell you this, a lot of who says, but you know, I just want you to be aware, Job, that this innocence thing, man, you need to turn loose of that. This, this uh, innocent flag that you're flying around here over your life and your heart may not be sound. In fact, it's not sound. How can I communicate that to you? How can I tell you that? Look down in chapter 34 and scroll all the way down to verse 35. Chapter 34 and go all the way down to verse number 35 Job speaks without knowledge. His words lack lack insight. Oh, that Job might be tested to the utmost for answering like a wicked man. To his sin, he adds rebellion. Scornfully, he claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. I just wonder if we recognize how blessed we are when we have somebody that is a compassionate critic that's God-inspired and God-led in our lives that tells us the truth when all others will not. What an what a incredible blessing. Whether we like what they're saying or not, we're blessed if there's an accountability person that's truthful and on point in our life, and again, one that is God-inspired. Now, I know I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't take the time to do this, but I don't care. I'm the pastor. I'm going to do it anyway. I had some fun this week. As I've told you, I've talked through Job many times, but I've never really come to a reckoning with these verses. So I just want you, we're going to get to that last point, knock it out and send you to lunch in just a second. But I just got to give you about this little laughable moment for me. I think you'll find it somewhat funny as well. Over in chapter 33... I want you to go to verses 31, 32, and 33. Was not meaning even to talk about this today, but this is a really strange moment. Job... um, is listening to all this and taking it in. And Elihu comes to, 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 these, to these verses, chapter 33, 31, 32, and 33, and, and Elihu kind of sets some ground rules. You see that in your text? It's like, now, Job, as I'm talking to you, if you have anything to say, you go ahead and say it. But then, but then Elihu says, but I'm going to be talking, so don't say anything. And then you get down there in verses 32 and 33 and it's kind of like, if you have a thought about this process or something you want to interject, you know what, why don't you interject it? But then he says, but you know what, it's best that you don't interject anything because I don't want you to interrupt me. And I thought back to years that I was being brought up under parents and I thought back to the years that Becky and I were actively involved in parenting in much more hands-on day-to-day. I've learned with a 30-year-old daughter, parenting never stops. Can you hear an amen? It never stops. And I just wonder if any of you have ever said this. And I just laughed at myself. When I would go to Amber and I'd say, I was upset with her, I was trying to drive home a point to her, I would... Uh, She'd just sit there. And finally, I would say, do you have anything to say for yourself? She would just sit there. Finally, I would say, well, say it. And then when she began to speak, I would say, don't you talk to me like that. <laughs> oh, I see some others are starting to catch on to this moment. Or she'd just sit there in quiet, silence, and I would say, Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there like that. Talk to me. She would try to say something. I'd say, don't you talk to me like that. You ever been there? I loved this moment. You know, I'm just far enough along in life now that, man, I just treasure the time that I have in the Word That's why I know without question the Word of God. One of the many reasons that the Word of God is so true. It is so human. It shows us these kind of moments. Well, I just wanted to tell you that. Jot this down, we end. Elihu now is going to exalt the Lord. Elihu burst onto the scene. He's going to do some examination here of... Job's life and he's going to certainly spend some time explaining himself and why he was so slow getting on the scene but one of the really neat things that he does is he comes to this point and he just says I, Job I want you to remember how great God really is and I, and I when, when I was sharing a few moments ago about when we started I said maybe the greatest message you remember us talking about this or me sharing this with you I love this because maybe God is saying something to someone here today, maybe to several of us here today, just reminding us that God brings special people into our lives at different points, at different places in time, at different life continuums. But I think as he is about to burst off of the scenes, Elihu is going to exalt the Lord. Go over to chapter 36 and look in verses 5 and 6. Chapter 36, verses five and six. "God is mighty, but He despises no one. He's mighty and firm in His purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but he gives the afflicted their rights. He's talking about the very goodness of God. Go down to verse 26 in that 36 chapter. Scroll down to verse 26, and look at He, he doesn't just deal with God's goodness, but he deals with God's greatness. Elihu says about God's incredible greatness. How great is God? Beyond our understanding, the number of years has passed, finding out. And then, I don't know, we don't have time to do it, but I, I just pointed out to you down there in verse 27, he begins kind of a, a glance at the seasons. Maybe he's using the seasons of life as a visual here. Verse 27, he draws up the drop of water and and he steals his rain from the very streams. He's kind of talking about that whole cycle. And he leads into kind of a discussion about autumn, the fall as we know it. Go over to chapter 37 and, and scroll down to verse 6. Here he's going to talk about the winter. I just want you to make uh, just a visual note of it. He says to the snow, fall on the earth and the rain shower. Be a mighty downpour. Look in verse 9. The tempest comes uh, out uh, from its chamber. The cold, the driving winds, and the breath of God produces ice. And the broad waters become frozen. He's talking about frost and winter. Then looking down in verse 11. Now he's going to be kind of leading into a spring conversation. He loads the clouds with moisture, talking about that rainy season. And he scatters his lightning through them. The storm season, the spring months. Look down in verse 14, all the way down to verse 17. He's talking about summer. How do we know that? Because when we take a gander at the end of this section in verse 17, he talks about how hot you are. Why are your garments so scorched? Why are they so hot? Verse 14, he says... Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Verse 15, do you not know? And now he's going to begin a series of questions. He wants Job to start answering some questions. Verse 15, do you not know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? But then Elihu does something amazing before he bursts off the scene. He really begins to deal with the glory of God. The glory of God. Jot that down. Look down in chapter 37 and scroll all the way down to verse 22. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. Verse 23 The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and his great righteousness he does not oppress. You see, Elihu is trying to help Job understand something very important. He wants Job to know, Job, I don't want you to let the things that you do not understand with your head, write that down, rob you of the things that you do understand with your heart. And there's a takeaway for us today. Job, do not let the things that you do not understand with your head rob you of the things that you do understand with your heart. We know, as a reader of the book of Job, Elihu is going to pass off the scene, and he's setting Job up for a key moment in the book of Job. God is about to speak. If you look at the next chapter, you see him, The Lord Answers. Everyone else is going to be stripped off the scene. The three friends are going to disappear. Elihu is going to disappear. We don't hear anything else about Job's wife at this moment. It's just now going to be Job and God as we continue to look in this incredible book. I close with sharing this with you. Last week when we closed our message... I shared with you about a sweet lady that was in one of our former ministers by the name of Joyce. Joyce and the rubber gloves, which has become a very important, I guess, story at Oakland Heights Baptist Church, but it has transcended that. This week, from Nashville, Tennessee, a lady has sent 400 rubber gloves on my desk right now are two boxes of 100 gloves. I've got 600 gloves to send to Ms. Joyce. Is that not incredible? And some of you are going, what's he even talking about? But I shared the stories we ended yesterday, or last Sunday, about Ms. Joyce that needed rubber gloves, could only get one box of gloves. She's been going through so much. And uh, people just responding. These folks from, from the Tennessee area that sent these gloves they're not even members of our church. They just watch us online. And it's been so amazing how God has answered and how He has responded to the need that I just laid out there. Can you agree with me today? As I've sat this week and watched America in turmoil, I mean, I awakened this morning a little before four. Studied for a couple hours, went and got my exercise in, turned the news on just for a second, only to be greeted with the news that I guess there's some group that want to get rid of all police in the whole country. Now, there's a really bright assertion. But, man, we live in difficult days. We live in a day and time that we better get our stuff together. I mean, it's one thing for us to be the world of power that corrects everyone else in democracy. You shouldn't treat your people that way. And, you know, when China and other countries now can level charges against us for how we're treating our own. So today as we pray... I don't know where you are in the political spectrum. But you know, if God just gives me a few more years of ministry, I want an account. I want us to have the opportunity to show people who Jesus Christ is. And at this moment, Job needs somebody to help him get his house in order. And Elihu, Elihu, was that person. So as we pray today, I'm just going to ask that you do some inter-searching and that God just might use a strange twist of a character that shows up completely unexpected to say something to you and to me today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Man, we look forward to this, whether it be Wednesday morning when we come together and surround God's word, or when we come corporately on Sunday morning and open up God's word, we tune everything else out, we shut everything else down, and we just spend time anchored in your word. Father, I just thank you for this refreshing time. Thank you when we, it may be bizarre sitting on every other pew and spacing and Mask and all those things, but at the core of it, Father, those are just circumstantial things. Your word and your living in our lives and our hearts—that's what's so vital and what's so important. And Father, we live in crazy times. I think that's exactly what Job was saying. I mean, times that a man's ten children all have died. <laughs> a time when there is chaos across the land and he's lost his livestock and stock and people are have have raided and taken and plundered and he's wondering where is god in all this and maybe today in the midst of a moving out of this pandemic maybe today in all the unrest across our nation and let's be honest across this whole world Father, people are looking for stability. They're looking for an anchor. They're looking for a rock. And Father, often that search begins with a compassionate critic in our lives. Someone that's willing to come and to speak into our lives not out of hurt and malice and pain, but a God-sent messenger to try to help us really see things that maybe we just can't see in evaluating ourselves. And Father, we thank you for this character, Elihu, that burst onto the scenes, that brings a very important part into the function of Job, coming to spiritual grips, brought him even to the point of answering questions about God's greatness and his glory and his goodness. So, Father, today, maybe our prayer is that with those things that we don't understand with our heads, that you somehow, through your Holy Spirit, not allow us to discount what you're speaking and saying into our heart. Put us on the right path. Lift us up out of these difficult days. Allow us to convey the gospel a few more years before your return. Father, we love you and we worship you. And these things we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me today? Josh is going to be here and he's going to lead us in this time of invitation. Can I just say thank you for the way you've listened today? A lot of scripture, if you go back and count, 94 different verses mentioned today lot of scripture. Aren't you thankful for the power of God's word? Man, what that means in our lives. Let's sing and worship together.